turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. There is an epidemic failure within the game to understand what is really happening. And this leads people who run Major League Baseball teams to misjudge their players and mismanage their teams. Go on. Okay. People who run ball clubs, they think in terms of buying players. Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. You're trying to replace Johnny Damon. The Boston Red Sox see Johnny Damon and they see a star who's worth $7.5 million a year. When I see Johnny Damon, what I see is, is an imperfect understanding of where runs come from. The guy's got a great glove. He's a decent leadoff hitter. He can steal bases, but is he worth the $7.5 million a year that the Boston Red Sox are paying him? No. No. Baseball thinking is medieval. They are asking all the wrong questions. Hi, everybody. My name's Ed Hoffman. Welcome to the main event. Opened up with that clip from the movie uh, Moneyball. As uh, Jonah Hill explains to Brad Pitt how uh, baseball thinking is medieval because the idea is not just to hire a bunch of good-looking superstar players. The idea is to to uh, win games. And to win games, you need runs. And uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of little little details that people don't think about. And I, and I, and I was thinking this morning, based on the stuff that we're going to talk about today, what of my movie clips fits? And it's the whole idea is that people don't understand. People don't understand how the world works. They need to stop listening to the BS that comes across on TV and the little, the little talking points and the little uh, sound bites. And they need to start thinking about what's best for them. Do we need health care? Or do you just need to make sure that someone will take care? Do you need a great health care program? Or do you just want to get taken care of when you get hurt? Do you need health care? Do you just want to make sure that if you get sick, you're taken care of? Do you need health care or do you just want to make sure that um, whatever, whatever? I mean, there's everybody. You know, it's, it's Well, we got to have health care. Do you? Because before we had uh, Obamacare, you, some of you youngsters didn't care about it. So anyway, I'm going to I'm going to talk about more more about that and how this how this uh, equates to everything that went on, even right up to the even right up to uh, the the thing everybody's talking about, which I'm going to talk about in the second half. I don't want to mention any names, but James Comey got fired. Um, You know, that's what everybody's talking about. Was it right the way he did it? Did Comey need to get fired? I think he did. Think he did? I think I, I think I thought it way back when. I didn't need Trump to do it to think it was okay, and I don't really care how he did it or how unpolitically correct. You know, uh, Ben Carson 
Uh, first time I saw him speak live, said the thing that's going to destroy the United States is political correctness. And oh my God, Trump said this, Trump said that. And he didn't, can you believe the way he said it? He was just so brash out there. He didn't care. That's not a very presidential way to say things. Who cares? Tell it like it is. Tell it like it is and get your point across. Hey, well, I'm going to talk a lot about that today over the next several, several minutes, next uh, almost an hour that I have left to talk. But first, let me introduce you to who I am. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender located in the, the great Southern California, uh, the, hopefully the next country, uh, in the next country of Southern California. We push all the Democrats up to Northern California and we take back our state. Uh, offices all over the place. We, uh, we lend in Arizona as well as California and some other states coming online. If you're interested in getting involved in any, any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll, toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me and you don't want to talk on the phone, find me at WCC Loans. W-C-C-L-O-A-N-S, where we get all kinds of uh, mortgage information for you. If you want to apply for a loan, go to the Loan Center tab and click on Apply Now button. And if you give me as much information as you want and tell me how much information you want back, and you'll hear back from either one of my, one of uh, myself or one of my able-bodied teammates who will uh, get back to you and will help you fill in the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If there's any of the part of the any part of the show you want repeated, you can go to edhoffman.net. I know I'm giving you lots of lots of codes here. edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page and listen to it on demand anytime. You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. On iTunes, you can uh, subscribe for free, have it download to your iPad, your iPod, your iPhone, your iWatch, your um, your i whatever it is. And uh, or your computer or whatever kind of device you li- listen to podcasts on. Uh, if you want to um, uh, follow follow the, us on uh, social media, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current week current events all week long. Some weeks more than others depends on how much uh, how hot how uh, how high my blood pressure gets when I listen to some of the idiocy on TV. I'll play you some of that stuff today uh, that raised my uh, raised my blood pressure this week. Um, or uh, you can uh, like the Facebook page on Twitter, uh, the facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. Uh, and uh, p- apparently there's more than just me, Ed Hoffman, or just more than the main event. So I had to put it all together. And don't forget about the main event listener hotline where you can leave me a voicemail and tell me what you think of the show. You know how I say it. Everybody's entitled to my opinion. And uh, now, I'm, now I want to hear yours. I typically don't care, but just in case you got an opinion you want me to hear, call the listener hotline, area code 855-640-2092. 855-640-2092. I just might play your message on the show, but I want to hear from you. So, uh, you know, I don't talk about mortgages much on the show, but, you know, there just seems to be a ration of, of people that in the last few months that... File Chapter 13s, which is, you know, hey, I'm I'm in trouble on my house, and I don't want you to, to, to foreclose on it. So you file a Chapter 13, and you go into the go into the bankruptcy uh, uh, bankruptcy court, and uh, you tell the judge, yeah, I can afford to make these payments, but I just I just got to get you get I got to have the court stop the the mortgage company from foreclosing on me. 
So they set you up a budget and you say, okay, I'm going to make these payments for the next three years to cover all my unsecured debt. And then I'm going to make my house payment in addition and my car payment if you've got a secured debt. Um, how, however you want to, however you, uh, decide you want to keep the stuff that's, uh, that's secured. You can, but you have to keep making the payments. And I'm sure that they explain to the borrowers that, Hey, you've got to make this payment. You got to make that payment and you can't miss any payments. And, uh, on, as far as the, the, uh, mortgage company, if you, uh, if you pay your payments late, they can start foreclosure without having to wait the normal, the normal period. Um, because you used all that up before you went to chapter 13. I've had at least three people in the last three months that did this, made all their payments on the chapter 13, but during that time, never made any, never made any house payments. And they're going, wait, I just finished my chapter 13, but now the mortgage company is foreclosing on me. How come? Cause you got to make those payments too. One of them, one of them lives down in Long Beach and says, he, they uh, they got behind because he got hurt on the job, and uh, he makes about fourteen thousand dollars a month working on the docks, and uh, lost his job. And they made all their all their payments, but they didn't make the house payment. And I said, "Hey, you make fourteen thousand dollars a month. How come you can't uh, make this make make this pa- payment?" Well, I gonna make the trustee payment and the house payment. Yeah. Well, I couldn't afford that. Well, you make fourteen thousand dollars a month which means you take home about 9,000 a month and your house payment is like 2200 plus the uh plus the uh, trustee payments like 900 so there you're about 3100 that leaves you about $5900 more a month what other bills do you have none well but we have a daughter who's in who's in a on a travel soccer team so if you can't if if you can't afford to put your daughter on a travel soccer soccer team and make your and make your house payments, there's some priorities you have to you have to uh, take, or get another job. House payment, keeping a house over your kids is a, should be a priority, folks. Okay, if you're not clear on that, if you're not really clear on how you should prioritize your bills, please call me eight five five six four zero twenty twenty, and I'll explain it to you. Then I'll hit you over the head with a with a big old uh, uh, telephone book I got in the driveway the other day. Say, hey, what are these for? These are like door stops. People don't use those things anymore. But anyway, um, so let's talk about what's let's talk about what's going on in, in health. So apparently, again, I don't talk much about mortgages, but if you need a mortgage, I'm the best. If you need a reverse mortgage, I'm the best. If you need to invest in properties, I'm the best. So if you need financing, call me and I'll and I'll drive you drive you towards a decision that makes sense for you. So anyway, let's talk about the fun stuff that's going on in this country. The American Healthcare Act, and I'm going to do this in chronological order, so I know the big thing that everybody's talking about is going to be in the second half because it happened later in the week than the American Healthcare Act uh, pre-existing conditions argument. Yeah, but we want to talk about that. Okay, fast forward to the next half. Okay, so the American Healthcare Act passed uh, the House last week. I talked about that, but now the battle get it to to get it through the Senate begins. Senate says they're basically going to gut it and start all over, um, which I don't really think is necessary to gut it and start all over. But hey, maybe you guys should have been ready. You guys voted like sixty times in the last seven years to uh, to uh, scrap the Obamacare. It just never got passed by the uh, by the president. Kept getting vetoed. But did you ever think? 
Did you ever think that maybe you'd be in a position that someday you'd have the opportunity to pass it, that maybe you should have an alternative plan set up? All those lunches and all those appointments and all those trips to Washington, D.C., away from your family, you know, when you're away from your family, that gives you the ability to work late without anybody bitching about it. So why not work late with your fellow senators and, and, and congressmen and figure the thing out? Now Trump's been in office and we're looking we're looking like we weren't ready because we weren't. Well, let's say you weren't because I'm not part of Congress. So um, American Health Care Act uh, through the Senate, uh, that means it's time for the Democrats to dream up some new scare tactics. And their easiest target is the part of the bill that deals with pre-existing conditions. If you listen to the media coverage, you might think that the House Republican passed that House Republicans passed legislation to deny people with pre-existing conditions health coverage. Wrong. We have people like Anderson Cooper and his guests to thank for this misunderstanding. Critics of the House health care bill say it uh, has big pitfalls for people with pre-existing conditions, especially women who could find themselves caught in a Byzantine system that's allowed to consider everything from pregnancy to rape to domestic violence, a pre-existing condition. Issues but- of mammograms, issues of, of, of C-sections, C-sections are pre-existing conditions. Having a child is a pre-existing condition. Doctors said that people with pre-existing conditions, asthma, Basic healthcare conditions like asthma, any kind of any kind of condition that was a pre-existing condition before, can now will now be able to be discriminated against. The message to the rest of the country is Republicans, or at least Donald Trump and the Republicans in the House, do not care about women and children and poor people, and those people are the ones that are going to suffer in particular. So I've mentioned this a few times. The whole concept of insurance is you you buy insurance. You buy health insurance and you say, hey, I bet you I'm going to get sick. And they say, we bet you're not going to get sick. And you bet your few hundred dollars a month against their unlimited amounts of cash in the event that you get sick or or in an accident or whatever. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to lose that bet. Um, if if we take away the pre-existing conditions, we take away the need for insurance. So say, if you have a pre, pre-existing condition, you're pregnant... Well, guess what? If you if you buy insurance that covers you if you're if you're pregnant, if you wait till you're pregnant to buy it, that is a pre-existing condition. If uh, you know if you wait till you have cancer to get health insurance, then it's a pre-existing condition. That's uh, by saying that you that they can't turn you down for pre-existing conditions is just against the the uh, the definition of insurance. But let's clear some things up here. Clearly, the issue of pre-existing conditions has been willfully distorted by the media into a huge threat to Americans, a threat that doesn't exist. First, let's break down who isn't affected by pre-existing conditions provision. People who get insurance through their employer, that's half the country, 155 million people, there's no pre-existing conditions. See, group insurance is saying, hey, we'll cover you if you're part of a group. So if you join an employer, you're part of that company's group. If you uh, are in the armed forces, you're a, uh, you're a veteran, you're part of that group. If you are going to Cal State San Bernardino, there's student insurance policies available that as long as you're a student at Cal State San Bernardino, you're part of that group. Okay, so that's uh, that. those people don't have pre-existing conditions because they're underwrit- they underwrite the group. They don't underwrite each person. People on Medicaid or Medicare, there's another 70 million people. So let's see, that's about 220. That's about all but about 100 million people in this country um, are on Medicare, Medicaid, or uh, have insurance through their employers. Okay, people who live in a state that doesn't request a waiver. 
Okay, this this part gets a little confusing, but the um, the parts of Obamacare um, that say that um, that you have to have this coverage and that coverage and this coverage, you can, the state can can request a waiver. So if you if you request a waiver, you have to have um, you have to have a uh, a pool, a high risk pool. So the federal government is going to give each state that that requests a waiver. Uh, an eight billion dollar pool, so you have to have that in addition in to cover the people that are high risk. So let's see, that covers all those people. And if you and if uh, you and if you live in a state that doesn't have a waiver, people who live in a state that doesn't request a waiver, then you're covered. People who live in a state that does request a waiver, um, but the, and you've maintained coverage for continuously with no gaps, um, then. You don't, then you'll be able to get at the uh, the high risk pool. So basically, like uh, basically like assigned risk for your car, okay? Assigned risk for your uh, assigned risk for your uh, for your homeowner's insurance. And remember, when you have when you go to buy car insurance, they say, "Hey, do you have currently have car insurance now?" And you say, uh, "No, I let it lapse about about three months ago." You know what? If it lapsed three months ago, then you have to pay a little extra fee. But you only pay it that first year because the next time you renew, you will have had current current insurance. Okay, that makes sense. So here are the facts. In other words, in other words, in other words, here are the facts. Oh, you know what? Before before we talk about the facts, uh, you know, Obama's been uh, lecturing America, and this week he uses he used a speech in Boston at Profiles of Courage Awards to preach to the Senate about saving Obamacare. This great debate is not settled but continues. And it is my fervent hope and the hope of millions that regardless of party, such courage is still possible. That today's members of Congress, regardless of party, are willing to look at the facts and speak the truth, even when it contradicts Party positions. Oh my God, he's such a great speaker. He brings tears to my eyes. What did he say? I don't know. He said, uh, "Let's examine the facts." So let's examine. Let's examine the facts. Fact one: If you have a pre-existing condition, you live in a waiver state. You haven't had continuous coverage. You can only be charged more by the insurer on the first year. Okay, just like your car insurance. Fact two. Thanks to the provisions in the bill, every waiver state will have access to $8 billion in federal funds to ease the cost of insurance for people with pre-existing conditions. Fact three, the state may also have a high-risk pool or similar program to further alleviate insurance costs for pre-existing conditions. Fact four, this one is for all millennials on Twitter saying Republicans want to deny health care to rape survivors. There are laws on the books in 44 states that ban rape and sexual abuse from being considered a pre-existing condition. That nullifies their entire argument. Man, we should just give them uh, copies of the law and stop their protest. Here's what Rich Lowry wrote this week. Rich Lowry with the National Review. It takes all of five minutes to understand the basic architecture of the House bill on pre-existing conditions, yet it has been subject to a wildly ill-informed and deceptive acts because they all want to tell you that the Republicans want you to die. They don't want you to have any health health insurance. And you know what? Think about this. The, let's go back to Moneyball. 
The key is not to win games. The key is to get runs. Runs equal games. And hits equal uh, hits equal runs. Get on bases. Get around it. You don't have to. It's you don't need a certain amount of million dollar players. So um, it's been so. So when they say when they say hey, well, we, we're they're going to take our insurance away. You know what the Republicans want? They want you to get health care. Because health insurance and health care are two different things. If we're gonna if we're gonna have a health insurance program. Then do the then the insurance companies need to to drive that, and the free market will drive that, and I'm okay with that. If we're gonna have a health care plan, health care plan, then I guess that gets rid of all the insurance companies, and we're just gonna be single payer and get in line, get in line to get your uh, your bowl of soup and your uh, your flu shot. Okay, so uh, just keep everything in perspective, folks. I'm not gonna go on and on about the health care thing because it's gonna go on and on. For a long time. Let's go on to my next topic, Sally Yates. The Sally Yates situation. On Tuesday, Obama's Deputy Attorney General and Acting Attorney General until Jeff Sessions was confirmed. Remember, uh, Obama got, uh, or Donald Trump got uh, inaugurated on January 20th. And I don't think it was until into March. I know it was past February 20th. It was at least a month before uh, his Attorney General got uh uh, confirmed so he could actually have his job. So in the meanwhile, there was Sally Yates. Um, so, uh, so Jeff Sessions was concerned. Sally Yates, along with former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, testified on Capitol Hill about Russia's interference in the presidential election. I didn't think we were still caring about this. But apparently there are some doofuses in Washington, D.C. that care. And probably some doofuses here in California as well. The bottom line of this three-hour hearing can be summed up in this two-minute exchange between Senator Lindsey Graham and uh, and uh, and Sally Yates as she described what she told the White House about National Security Advisor Mike Flynn's dealings with Russia. Would you tell the White House? Okay. Right. So I told them again that there were a number of press accounts of statements that have been made by the Vice President and other high-ranking White House officials about General Flynn's conduct that we knew to be untrue, and. We told them how we knew that this, how we had this information, how we had acquired it, and how we knew that it was untrue. And we walked the White House counsel, who also had an associate there with him, through General Flynn's underlying conduct, the contents of which I obviously cannot go through with you today because it's classified. But we took them through in a fair amount of detail of the underlying conduct, what General Flynn had done, and then we walked through the various press accounts and how it had been falsely reported. We also told the White House counsel that General Flynn had been interviewed by the FBI on February 24th. Um, Mr. McGahn asked me how he did, and I declined to give him an answer to that. And we then walked through with Mr. McGahn essentially why we were telling them about this. And the first thing we did was to explain to Mr. McGahn that the underlying conduct that General Flynn had engaged in was problematic in and of itself. Secondly, we told him we felt like the vice president and others were entitled to know that the information that they were conveying to the American people wasn't true. And we wanted to make it really clear right out of the gate that we were not accusing Vice President Pence of knowingly providing false information to the American people. And in fact, Mr. McGahn responded back to me to let me know that anything that General Flynn would have said would have been based, excuse me, anything that Vice President Pence would have said would have been based on what General Flynn 
had told him. Um, we told him the third reason was is because we were concerned that the American people had been misled about the underlying conduct and what General Flynn had done. And additionally, that we weren't the only ones that knew all of this, that the Russians also knew about what General Flynn had done. And the Russians also knew that General Flynn had misled the vice president and others. Because in the media accounts, it was clear from the vice president and others that they were repeating what General Flynn had told them. And that this was a problem because not only did we believe that the Russians knew this, but that they likely had proof of this information. And that created a compromise situation, a situation where the national security advisor essentially could be blackmailed by the Russians. Oh, my God. Hold on. I have to wake up. I have to wake up. So if you paid attention to the story back in February when everything was just talked about was leaked the first time, did you really learn anything new here? I didn't. But the media sure tried to make it make us think it did. Uh, CNN said, Sally Yates is about to bring back the Russian story in a big way. Washington Post, Sally Yates just threw the White House under the bus. New York Times, Sally Yates just told the White House Flynn was susceptible to blackmail. They wanted to act like this was breaking news, but we know it wasn't. Hey, I'm all out of time for part one of the main event. Don't go away. Five minutes of uh, weather, traffic, and uh, commercials, and we'll be right back with uh, part two. We will continue this. Ed Hoffman right back here with you again for part two of the main event. We've been talking about what's going on in this country. We're trying to do it to the beat of the music. We're not having a very good very good uh, track record with this because we're used to something else. But that's okay. Hey, we were talking about uh, Sally Yates. And uh, just before we finished up that, that uh, subject, I wanted to, you know, we were talking about how the media is trying to act like her testimony was was such big breaking news. Let me hear the clips that uh, that we heard back in uh, February, uh, four two months ago, and and that you know she's saying, "Hey, Sally Yates has told everybody that Flynn's getting blackmailed." That was uh, last week. Let's talk about what what uh, was said in February. The Trump White House was told last month that Flynn had misled senior administration officials about his communications with the Russian ambassador and could potentially be vulnerable to Russian blackmail. This Washington Post report uh, that Michael Flynn may be vulnerable to blackmail by Russia. The White House counsel was told by Sally Yates of the Justice Department that the General Flynn was vulnerable to Russian blackmail. I think uh, we didn't learn anything new this week about that. But, you know, it was on the calendar. I wanted to cover it. Wanted to cover it, and it seemed like a big zero to me. Uh, but this is these are the people that are trying to uh, trying to stop stop uh, Trump and his immigration bill and all that stuff. So let's talk about the let's talk about the big news that everybody's talking about. This could be this could be some earth shattering stuff going on here. We don't know where this is going to go. But uh, James Comey got fired. Trump fired him. I'm excited. I like seeing that. He fired his ass. Hope I could say that. So uh, unless you live You're under, fired. If you live under a rock, unless you live under a rock, you know that President Trump fired FBI Director James Comey on Tuesday. Let's review the timeline that led to him go, going all the way back to 2015. August 4th, 2015. Media reports reveal that the FBI is investigating the security of Hillary Clinton's private email server. 
This just in, June 7th, 2016, Attorney General Loretta Lynch meets with Bill Clinton on a Phoenix airport tarmac. They later denied discussing email and inv- the email investigation. Four days later, July 1st, 2016, Lynch announces she will accept the recommendation of the, F- of the FBI at the end of the email investigation as to whether or not to charge Hillary Clinton. Four days later, July 5th, 2016, in an unusual public move, Comey announces he does not recommend criminal charges against against Clinton, although he calls for her calls her extreme carelessness. carelessness. Two days later, July 7th, Comey reiterates the, the House Oversight Committee that Clinton did not break the law, and this is where the Democrats start to love him. They love him. He just lays out the whole case as to what, what Hillary did, long, did wrong. And then he said, I don't think any logically reasonable thinking uh, prosecutor in the country would think this was a good case. And we hear today, we hear today that that created some uh, ruckus at the FBI, that the FBI, uh, that a lot of his team was not behind that decision and that a lot of them were, were angry and felt worse than angry that uh, they thought there should be some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Accountability by our ex-secretary of state, former first lady, former uh, proprietor and uh, uh, proprietor of the Clinton casualty list. 53 dead people. I don't know if you don't know what I'm talking about. Go to edhoffman.net. And down at the bottom, there's a Clinton casualty list. Went over it on the radio right before the election. People were asking for the actual list. So go to edhoffman.net. So uh, do you see a pattern that's starting here? Do you see a pattern where, hey, you know what? There sure, it sure does look like there's a smoking gun there. This is where Comey starts to, as the president called it last week um, on CNBC nightly news interview, a grandstand or showboat, not what America's used to from an FBI director. September 28, 2016. Where's my... Gotta have my sound effects. September 28, 2016. Ed's 55th birthday. Comey tells the House Judiciary Committee he doesn't plan to reopen the investigation into Clinton. Democrats still love him. One month later, October 28, 11 days before the election... Comey announces the FBI is reviewing a new crop of emails related to the Clinton investigation. That's where they found that was the investigation where they found on former Congressman Anthony Weiner's computer uh, a bunch of classified emails. Now the now the Democrats hate him again. Here's what Democrats like uh, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and Harry Reid were saying then. He's got a big burden of proof, so to speak, on him for why he did what seems to be such an appalling act that goes against the tradition of prosecutors at every level of government. It was when I heard about it, I, I, I found it hard to believe that Comey, who I thought had some degree of integrity, would do this. I think he made a mistake on this, and he clearly has a double standard. And these jobs, if you're not in it for a while, you can't take the heat. And I think he just couldn't take the heat from the Republicans. I am so disappointed in Comey. He has let the country down for partisan purposes, and that's why I called him the new J. Edgar Hoover, because I believe that. Do you believe that uh, Jim Comey should resign, Senator Reid? Of course. Yes. I think they, I think, I think what they're trying to say, 
I think James Comey forgot the deal we made at the Capitol Grill in Washington, D.C. We promised. We promised to, to get him a, a lifetime membership club to where he could come in and get free primary of all the time if he just put the close the door on Hillary Clinton. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, now this is October. The Democrats hate him. Okay. Um, November 6, 2016. Comey says the FBI has completed its review of the new batch of emails and did not change its findings on Clinton. Democrats like him again. Two days later, November 8, Donald Trump de- defeats Hillary Clinton and is elected president of the United States. Yay! Four days later, November 12, 2016, on a phone call with donors, Clinton blames Comey for her defeat. Once again, Democrats hate him again. The next day on 60 Minutes, November 13, 2016, Trump says he hasn't decided whether to keep Comey. December 9, 2016, still in the pre, still in the end of the Obama presidency, President Obama orders the intelligence community to review and report on Russia's activity in the election. January 6, 2017, 14 days to Inauguration Day, the intelligence community reports produces a report concluding that Russia did attempt to influence our election in favor of Donald Trump. March 20th, 2017, Comey confirms before the White House Intelligence Committee that the FBI is investigating whether Trump campaign colluded with the Russia colluded with Russia during the election. Democrats still like him. April 27th, Rod Rosenstein confirmed as Deputy Attorney General. Okay. So right now at this point, this point, I think, uh, whose serve is it? I think Democrats like him still because he's, he's going after Trump, investigating the, the Russian thing. I think, I think what the problem here is is, is that uh, he didn't know who he, was, who he was emboldened to. So on July 5th, I think Loretta Lynch... Uh, the attorney general might have given him some influence and said, we don't want to prosecute this. We want to bury this thing. And if you want to keep your job, Hillary Clinton's going to be president. You need to protect her. And he went in there and acted stupid. And every half of everybody in the country thought he was stupid because we're saying, hey, enough is enough. Now the FBI came up with it. They saw everything. He showed them everything. He told them how much she did wrong and called him, called it a... Um, not gross negligence, extreme, extreme carelessness. Use a different language. It still makes it the same thing. And uh, nothing matters. So uh, so then Rod Rosenstein is confirmed as a deputy attorney general. So why does this matter? Because early reports were that it was his recommendation to fire uh, James Comey. Here's Fox's John Roberts. We are told by White House officials that this really was uh, the work of Rod Rosenstein, who was the deputy attorney general, that he came into the job after being confirmed. He started reviewing this case, started assessing the situation. Clearly, he had had some concerns about all of this prior to taking over as the deputy attorney general and made the determination that Comey had acted absolutely improperly with what he said about Hillary Clinton in that hour plus long press conference back in July of last year. 
when he said that she had mishandled emails, that she had stored classified emails on her server, that she shouldn't have done it. But then at the same time, he didn't think that uh, it warranted pressing charges. Uh, and he just said that he had, Rosenstein said that at that point, Comey had really usurped the authority, authority of then Attorney General Loretta Lynch. But I think what, what really buried Comey was what he said last week in testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, where he alluded to the fact that when he heard that Bill Clinton had that tarmac uh, interlude with the attorney general, uh, that he needed to act because he thought that he would be accused of covering something up had he not come forward. He overstepped all bounds that the director of the FBI could only do something like that when they've got special permission to do it. And it was at that point that Rosenstein determined that he had lost confidence in Comey's ability to run the FBI. I should say, I should say. So uh, you can see, you can see finally someone in, finally somebody in the uh, Justice Department starts going, hey, you know what? This FBI guy, he should be, he should be razor sharp. He should be sticking straight to the law, the letter of the law. You know, he's talking about, well, I look at all these emails and I really don't see any intent to break the law. Uh, I don't really think she intended to do anything. Is intent any part of the law? If you kill somebody and you didn't intend to, you still killed somebody. So, okay, maybe it's not murder one. Maybe it's not first degree murder. Maybe it's manslaughter. Maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's, uh, maybe, maybe it's murder two or whatever degree that is, but you still murdered somebody. Okay. So, so Hillary Clinton still clearly intended to do stuff oh well hey, you know what she didn't intend to open up her own server it was an accident she thought she thought it was kind of legal well how did you do that you slipped on a banana peel and uh fell on a new server i don't know uh it doesn't doesn't seem right but it does but it's hey you know what it doesn't seem like there's any uh intent here you know the uma Abedin last last week well did she have her uh her uh uh, her the, her classified emails from Hillary Clinton on her uh, on her computer and she forwarded them to uh Anthony Weiner's computer her husband so he could print them does Anthony Weiner have a uh, have a uh, a clearance security clearance so that he can have classified emails on his computer no oh well she just did it so he could print them uh well that's still breaking the law so what's wrong with this so people are starting to wonder, say, hey, this guy, this guy's using excuses to not go after the obvious. May 2nd, 2017. Clinton again blames her loss on Comey's October 28th announcement, saying, if the election were held on October 27th, I would be your president. Democrats hate him again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if frogs had wings, they wouldn't bump their butt when they hopped. So uh, continuing, May 3rd. Comey defends his conduct in Clinton's email investigation before the Senate Judiciary Committee, testifying he feels mildly nauseous that his actions may have affected the election. May 9th, six days later, James Comey is fired. On his day off. Well, maybe not on his day off, but he was in Los Angeles when he got fired. Uh, Since Comey was uh, fired by President Trump, guess how the Democrats feel about him now? They love him. Of course, uh, here's Senator Schumer sounding very different than he did last year, followed by uh, Senators Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, uh, Pat Leahy, and failed vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine. 
if the administration truly had objections to the way Director Comey handled the Clinton investigation, they would have had them the minute the president got into office. But he didn't fire Director Comey then. Donald Trump has tried to put himself above the law. And that's not how it works in America. This is not just a scandal. The president's actions are neither Republican nor Democratic. They're authoritarian. We have a deeply insecure president who understands that the noose is tightening because of this Russia investigation. And that's why I believe he has let Jim Comey go. Does anybody feel like uh, like there's any kind of weirdness as to why Trump uh, let him go? I feel like he had to go. He's doing a he's doing a, a poor job. If uh, if I was in that position, if I was in that position, I would have got fired, too. If I did what Hillary Clinton did, I'd be in jail. If I did what Uma Abedin did, I'd be in jail. Uh, but, you know, apparently there's a second uh, a second set of rules for everybody. If I did what uh, what uh, Anthony Weiner did, I'd be in jail. But apparently, if you're in the right groups, you, they're just above the law. And I think that's why we elected Trump, because we were tired of that crap. So uh, here's how Deputy White House... Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Mike Huckabee's daughter, addressed addressed that when she was when she led the daily press briefing on Thursday. Here's what Democrats said not long ago about Comey. Harry Reid said Comey should resign and be investigated by the Senate. Senator Chuck Schumer said, I don't have confidence in him any longer. Senator Bernie Sanders said it would not be a bad thing for the American people if Comey resigned. Nancy Pelosi said Comey was not in the right job. Former DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz said that she thought Comey was no longer able to serve in a neutral and credible way. President Obama's advisor, Valerie Jarrett, reportedly urged him to fire Comey. Just yesterday, Representative Maxine Waters said that Hillary Clinton would have fired Comey. If you want to talk about people in the dark, our story is consistent. The president is the only person that can fire the director of the FBI. He serves at the pleasure of the president. The president made the decision. It was the right decision. The people that are in the dark today are the Democrats. They want to come out. They want to talk about all of these. uh, They love Comey and how great he was. Look at the facts. The facts don't lie. Their statements are all right there. Yep, the facts don't lie. So uh, it's pretty pretty well spelled out, plain and simple. So let's talk about uh, um, the letters from the letters of his of his termination. It says, uh, dear Director Comey, I have received I have received attached letters from the Attorney General and the Deputy Deputy Attorney General of the United States recommending your dismissal as the Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I have accepted their recommendation, and you are hereby terminated and removed from the office effective immediately. While I greatly while I greatly appreciate you informing me on these three separate occasions that I am not under investigation, I nevertheless concur with the judgment of the Department of Justice that you are not able to effectively lead the Bureau. It is essential that we find new leadership for the FBI that restores public trust and confidence in, uh, in its vital law enforcement mission. I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavor, Donald J. Trump. Why is the line that Trump appreciates Comey informing him on three separate occasions that was not under investigation important? He was, uh, if you watch CNN this week, you heard people like uh, the White House correspondent Jim Schuto say this. The president in his letter, uh, Kellyanne Conway on our air, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in an interview tonight, 
in unison making the point this this investigation is going nowhere it's done it doesn't target the president that is not true you you heard director comey in march saying we are looking at contacts between trump associates and russia we're looking at the possibility of collusion there's no answer to that question we know that that's still an open investigation in other words they're pushing the idea that comey was really fired for investigating the trump team's alleged ties to russia but according to Fox Catherine's Herridge, the real reason that part of the letter matters is this. The central accusation against the FBI director is that he had damaged the FBI because he had thrust the Bureau into politics. And with that in mind, my contacts are pointing me to that specific language in the letter that President Trump released, claiming that the FBI director had told him on three occasions that he was not the subject of the counterintelligence probe into Russian contacts with the Trump campaign. This is so important because it is most improper for the FBI FBI director to ever discuss who the subject of an investigation is, even with the president of the United States. And my contacts say if that did exactly happen, it is more evidence that Comey had become highly political and it was an effort to curry favor in order to save his position as director. I agree. He had become highly political. I'll read the letters that recommended that to him. But the bottom line is when when he thought Hillary was going to be his boss, Comey said she didn't do anything wrong. When Trump became his boss, Comey had to reverse the course to save his job. When he went back and forth between being a prosecutor, a political political show pony, and director of the FBI, the president President Trump had just had enough. Hey, you know what? What are you? Are you uh, are you uh, enforcing the law, or are you uh, part of a political? Are you running for running for office? What are you doing? Because there's no consistency. And uh, you know what? I go back to to when uh, the the uh, judge uh, Gorsuch, Ju- uh, Justice Gorsuch, was being uh, uh, grilled there. They're trying to get him to make make uh, comments on the on the the laws and 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 the the certain situations with the with the uh, what was the the thing with the truck, the whatever it was when the truck driver was was freezing and his and he was out of almost out of gas and should the company have been able to fire him. He wasn't he wasn't he didn't want to comment on the situation there. He was interpreting the law. That's what they do. And and the and Comey isn't there to be to investigate based on politics. He's there to investigate what's happening. So we can so the Justice Department can determine did he break the law or he didn't break the law. So uh the letters have the letters here from that uh President Trump got. The Attorney General uh, wrote him on May 9th. As Attorney General, I'm committed to the high level of discipline, integrity, and the rule of law to the Department of Justice, and an institution that I deeply respect. Based on my evaluation and for the reasons expressed by Deputy Attorney General in the attached memorandum, I have concluded that a fresh start is needed at the leadership of the FBI. It is essential that the Department of Justice clearly reaffirm its commitment to long-standing principles that ensure the integrity and the fairness of the federal investigations and, and prosecutions. The director of the FBI must be someone who follows faithfully the rules and principles of the Department of Justice and who sets the right example for our law enforcement officials and others in the department. Therefore, I must recommend that you remove Director James B. Comey Jr. and identify an an experienced and qualified individual to lead the, the great men and women of the FBI. So that was from uh, from uh, Jeff Sessions. His uh, deputy assistant, uh, Rod Rosenstein, said, 
uh, said this, the Federal Bureau of Investigation has long been regarded as our nation's premier federal investigation agency. Over the past year, however, the FBI's reputation and credibility have suffered substantial damage, and it has affected the entire Department of Justice. That this deeply troubling, that is deeply troubling to many department employees and veterans, uh, legislators, legislators, and citizens. The current FBI director is an articulate and persuasive speaker about leadership and immutable principles of the Department of Justice. He deserves our appreciation for his public service. As you know, I have discussed, however, I cannot defend the director's handling of the conclusion of the investigation of Secretary Clinton's emails, and I do not understand his refusal to accept the nearly universal judgment that he was mistaken. Almost everyone agrees that the director made serious mistakes and that it is one of the few issues that unites people in this diverse in of diverse perspectives. The director was wrong to usurp the, the attorney general's authority on July fifth, two thousand sixteen. I remember it well, uh, and announces his and announced his conclusion that the case should be closed without prosecution. It is not the function of the director to make such announcement. At most, the director should have said the FBI had completed its investigation, presented the findings to the federal prosecutors. The director now defends his decision by asserting he believed Attorney General Loretta Lynch had had a conflict. But the FBI director is never empowered to to supplant federal prosecutors. He's saying all the same stuff we all thought. Just so you know, there's a big organization called the FBI. And just because the guy at the head is saying stuff that we all think is stupid, his people behind him, they see what's happening. You watch TV the next few days, folks. You're going to see some FBI guys say, we were mad when he made that decision. Hey, anyway, hey, if I said something that spurs you to want to give your opinion, call the main event listener hotline, 855-640-2092. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. I'll be back again with you next week. You're fired. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199.